Hello, and welcome to episode number nine of Preaching from the Pulpit. This is a ministry of the Maryville Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. We trust you'll enjoy listening as our pastor, Dr. Jack Roberts, preaches on what's in the house of God. I'd like to preach on this thought this morning, what's in the house of God? What's in the house of God? Now, I know we come to church, and by the way, the tabernacle, God gave Moses the plans. He put these plans together, built a tabernacle for the worship of God, for the ability for man, sinful man, to find his way back to a place to where he could have communion and fellowship with the God of heaven. Then God did the same thing through Solomon, as we've been studying about uh, the temple that Solomon built how that God again instructed how things should be done so that man again could find his way to a place where he could know God and worship the God of heaven. By the way, could I, could I just add one more thing to it? God has a church in our generation, and the purpose of that church is so that man can find his way back to a place where he can worship the Almighty God. What a kind of contrast uh, the tabernacle and the temple. And we read about uh, the things that uh, Solomon did when he uh, built the temple, or had the temple built, by the way, and the furniture that was placed in the temple at that time. So there must have been a, a, a preface as to why they were there, the way they were placed, and the things about them. And again, could I say, God has a plan for his church today. Uh, God's plan and, and what ought to be found in the house of God uh, is pictured both in the tabernacle of Moses, also in the temple of Solomon. Matter of fact, in, in the tabernacle of Moses, the tabernacle, uh, the surrounding uh, of the tabernacle was like 150 feet uh, long. It was 75 feet wide, and uh, it was a fairly small place compared to the temple. Now, when I say that, there's a reason it was on the size that it was. First of all, every time the people of Israel moved, that tabernacle had to be taken down and moved with them. It was a, it was a portable church, if you please. I mean, it was something that uh, could be disassembled, carried to the next spot. Uh, by the way, that spot was determined by God, always determined by God. I mean, uh, the pillar of fire by night and, and that uh, overshadowing presence of the cloud by day uh, helped Moses and the people of Israel to know where to go, when to go, how to go, and how to set up once they got there. And when Solomon built the temple, uh, God had already chosen the plan. I think I mentioned this last week. Uh, the temple was built on Mount Moriah, the place where Abraham took Isaac to offer him as a sacrifice, the place that, uh, that David uh, offered the sacrifice uh, for the uh, vengeance of God uh, to be uh, kindled that uh, the people of Israel might not be completely destroyed. Moriah, uh, on Mount Moriah, the same place, Aurora's threshing floor, uh, where that altar was set up. And then when we get to the tabernacle, we come to this place. That it's fairly small, by the way, uh, probably looking at the, at the sanctuary here. Uh, it's about half again as 
long as a sanctuary, 150 feet. But on top of that, uh, could I tell you that uh, it was narrow. It was small compared to the Temple of Solomon. But it contained, by the way, it contained the same thing on the inside. Uh, by the way, could I tell you, uh, our church today ought to contain the same thing on the inside. And could I say one more time, God looks at the inside more than he does the outside. So if, you, if you're too worried about it, God knows, God understands, God has a plan, by the way. God has a plan for his people, has a plan for his church, has a plan for folks that they can find a place and a way to worship him. When you came uh, to the tabernacle, in the wilderness that was moved about, uh, when you came through that 30-foot wide gate in the front, the first thing you came to was a brazen altar. By the way, could I just put this out while I'm right there? Every place that people worship God needs an altar. We have an altar. I believe Paul said that, didn't he? We have an altar. I mean, we come to the foot of the cross, and, and, and we come there uh, with a broken heart and a contrite spirit that we might be acceptable in the sight of Almighty God. The altar that was put in the tabernacle by Moses uh, was seven and a half foot by seven and a half foot by four and a half foot high. Now, we're, we're looking at a place that's small. It's not, it's not large. Matter of fact, outside of the length of it, uh, it's not nearly a square foot wise, as big as this sanctuary is. But there's an altar there, and you can't get any closer than just the gate until you go by the altar. And could I, could I throw this out while I'm there? You'll never get close to the God of heaven till you go by the foot of the cross, the altar of the believer, You'll never, you'll never be able to meet with him. You'll never be able to fellowship with him. You'll never be able to know him until you pass by God's precious altar. I, I mean, well, here we are. Uh, the first thing you come to in the tabernacle is a brazen altar, seven and a half foot by seven and a half foot by four and a half foot high. And when we get to the temple, and I, I'm not going to read it all. You can find the tabernacle in Exodus chapter number 28. You'll find the temple here in First and Second Chronicles. But when we get to the temple, first thing we find, just on the, on the outside, by the way, of the temple itself, you'll find a brazen altar. By the way, you can't get through the door of the tabernacle till you pass by the altar. Man, could I say it one more time? You can't get to heaven until you go by God's altar. That's the place called Calvary. So here it is. Uh, we, have, we have an altar at the tabernacle. We have an altar in the temple. By the way, the altar at the temple is altogether different. The altar at the temple is 30 foot by 30 foot by 15 foot. That's, man, that's huge compared to the one in the tabernacle. You say, what are you saying, preacher? Well, I said once before, could I say it again? The temple was not to be moved. The temple was there permanent. God intended for it to be there permanent. By the way, the people of Israel had increased. The priest jobs had increased. Uh, the priest had increased. Uh, and, and there were more people that came to worship. Therefore, the altar must be large enough to accommodate those that came to worship. <coughs> Could I mention this? The altar was made out of brass. This bra That's why it's called brazen altar. It was overlaid with brass because the brass would not just melt and burn away. So what happened is 
This altar, this huge altar, by the way, 30 foot, that's uh, probably uh, from right along here to the wall. 30 foot is wider than the platform is I'm standing on. And then it's 15 foot high. I mean, this is a huge thing. On each corner of this altar, there are horns that come up. These horns, by the way, were used by the priest uh, for the tying down of the sacrifice. The altar of Moses and the altar of Solomon all are types of one thing, types of forgiveness through the blood. I mean, these five offerings that were to be brought are all represented the blood. Jesus Christ, our altar. He shed his blood for sinners like you and I. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for the soul. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. That's what Moses penned out in Leviticus chapter number 17, verse number 11. Could I, could I tell you this morning, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. So by the way, the first thing, the first thing that man had to do to get to God, to get into the presence of God, is the same thing that man has to do today. In those days, in the Old Testament days, God said, I will, I will accept a blood sacrifice that I might look over your sins until the price is paid. In the New Testament, God says, look back at Calvary. The blood's been shed. The price has been paid. All you need to do is by faith believe that this price was paid for you. I want to tell you this morning, folks, uh, what are you going to find down at the house of God? By the way, you ought to, you ought to find the gospel message. I mean, it's a message of salvation. It's a message through the blood of Christ. You ought, you ought, to, you ought to find a place where that Calvary is preached. I, I, I don't have time. I've preached just from uh, Psalms. I believe it's Psalms 122. Uh, there's a passage there that talks about uh, walking around the altar, talks about the altar of sacrifice. On, and by the way, it's spelled N-E-W-S. It's called good news. Amen. On, on, mm, on the east side is where the ashes said, hey, the, uh, the sacrifice has been accepted. On, on the east side where the priest offered the sacrifice, the burnt ashes dropped through the, uh, the grate at the bottom. He took a shovel, took those ashes out, laid them at, at the east side of the altar. By the way, that's where you go in at. Every time you brought your sacrifice, God accepted your sacrifice. The next time you came by, priests say, there's your assurance. Your sacrifice has been accepted. Man, it's good when you know that God has accepted your sacrifice. You see, so many folks go through life and they think, well, unless I can do good enough, unless I can live good enough, unless I can give enough, unless I can go enough, unless all of this, God won't accept my sacrifice. The believer's sacrifice has already been accepted in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing you'll find in the tabernacle of Solomon is that brazen altar. It speaks of those offerings there. By the way, there's five offerings that God told the people to bring. God doesn't leave you out to figure out what you ought to do. 
Man, I, I can't preach much on this because it's just too much to get through this morning. But I want to tell you, God does not leave you to decide what you want to do. God tells you what he expects you to do. Really? I mean, well, five's the number of grace, the number of mercy. God said to the people of Israel, here's five sacrifices that you can bring that I will accept. There's the burnt offering. There's the meal offering. There's a peace offering. There's a sin offering. There's a trespass offering. And he gives specifics on what kind of animals can be offered for those sacrifices. So you see what I'm trying to say is, you can't make up your own mind. I mean, it's not, it's not even possible for you to decide what church you ought to go to. If the Holy Spirit of God indwells you, the Holy Spirit of God will direct you. The Holy Spirit of God will lead you. And God will help you to know where you ought to be. I, I, I'd really like to preach on that a little while, but I don't have time. I'm just on the first part of five, all right? First thing you see, Moses, why is that altar there? Well, God said, build it. Why is it built like it is? God give me the dimensions for it. Why is it overlaid with brass? Well, God said, overlay it with brass. Solomon, what are you doing? I'm doing what God told me to do. First thing you, first thing you find when you come to the temple is a place of sacrifice. It's not God asking you to sacrifice. It's God showing you he has already offered a sacrifice for your sin. Could I, could I say again? Hey, it's not left up to you. I've had folks tell me, well, preacher, you know, I like this church. What would it be if you just followed God? Would it be that bad? Second thing you come to in the tabernacle of Moses, it's called the laver of cleansing. Now, you go by, first of all, you go by the brazen altar where the sacrifice is made. And the next thing you come to is a, it's called the laver of cleansing. The purpose is it's a huge bowl, golden bowl with a glass bottom that's just like a mirror. Matter of fact, when the priests went there to wash themselves and cleanse themselves and they looked into the water, so they could wash some of the blood of the sacrifice off of their hands. The thing they saw was their face looking back at them. Amen. Now, you find the same thing in Solomon's temple. The only thing is it's much bigger. First of all, it's much bigger because there's a lot more sacrifices being made. Uh, matter of fact, uh, According to all the historians, they say that this huge laver basically uh, was set on the back of 12 oxen, north, east, west, and south. And it was high up in the air, and the sacrifices that were offered, there was a place where they could be washed, be clean. But there's also, again, a place for the priests to cleanse themselves. And to make sure they were clean as they offered the sacrifice. But now Solomon's was much bigger because it was a much bigger place. And there was many more people to be provided for. And by the way, could I tell you, what I want you to find out at the house of God? It's called a laver of cleansing. Huh? 
Oh, could I could borrow you right here? Right here it is. It's called the Word of God. I mean, without this, we can't be clean. The purpose of the Bible is so that as Christians, we can practice what the Scriptures say. And we are, we are in a process of being cleansed day by day as we go through the Word of God. What aren't you to find at the house of God? Hey, you ought to find an altar. You ought to find an altar. Then, then you ought to find the Word of God that cleanses us as we walk through this dirty life. You see, in those days, especially when it was the tabernacle, they didn't have any floor. They didn't have any concrete or stones to walk upon. They walked on the dirt, the dust. And doing their job, the priests would always get dirty and get dusty. And by the way, I don't have time, but it's the same principle as Jesus taught the disciples in the washing of the feet. I know that'll confuse you, but that's what it's all about. So anyway, we come to the we come to the tabernacle, and by the way, it's a huge, it's a huge place. I read some word I don't know. I, I have to read somebody else's. I wasn't there, so I, I can't tell you from seeing, but I read somewhere in, in one of the Jewish books that the tabernacle was small, like I said. But the temple was so large that the grounds of the temple would be about the same size as 29 football fields all put together. Huge place. I mean, it was a it was a 180 foot long, if I recall right. When it was built, when it was built, it was built in such a manner uh, that it took, by the way, several thousand people seven years to construct it. Wow. Could I... Uh, <clears throat> Could I tell you, when you come to the altar, offer your sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ in our church, and then you come to the, to the Bible and you find a, a, a manner of cleansing through the Word of God. By the way, that's the purpose of it. And then you pass on through. You see, in the, in the, in the tabernacle, there was a huge, a huge curtain that separated what they call the Holy of Holies, and the holy place, and the outer court. So when we, when, we come, when we come here, we get by the laver of cleansing, we have to enter in to the place that's called the Holy of Holies. That's the next little compartment. And in, inside of that, there's some other things that God had placed there. He had a, a lampstand. You all know the... A story about the Jewish lampstand, that one with the, the one branch that runs up and then the others that come off of it, it actually has seven places for the oil to burn. And it was placed on the south side of the next compartment that's within the tabernacle. And it was there for purpose. By the way, the pre, what, part of the priest's job, not all the priests, part of the priest's job was to do nothing to, but to make sure that the oil never run out of the lamp, that the lamp never went out. Wow. There's a whole sermon there. I'll be preaching a sermon on each one of these, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to this morning, all right? But, but here it is. We, we come in here, and by the way, there's no windows. Oh, when we get to Solomon's Temple, when we get into the first compartment there where the lampstands are, there's no windows, completely dark, the only light 
that's in either the tabernacle or the temple are those lampstands. And you know what that says? That says simply Jesus Christ is the only light of the world. Our world's in darkness. Lord God, help that we just made it through a year that's so dark that it's almost impossible to recall. And yet there's a light that has never gone out. His name's Jesus Christ, by the way. He's the light of the world. He's the light of the believer. He's that, he's that light by which we walk. And on the other side of this little compartment, by the way, this isn't a huge place. It's a small compartment. And this compartment holds the lampstand, and it holds a table. It's called the table of shewbread. This is to remind the people of God, to remind the Jewish people that when they were hungry, God fed them. When they couldn't find food for themselves, God let manna fall out of heaven and said, here's enough for today. Oh, man, we could, as Christians, we could learn a good lesson from that. God's provisions never failed. God said, don't worry about tomorrow. There'll be manna from heaven tomorrow. Hey, church, don't worry about 2021. God hadn't run out of food for his children. God hadn't give up on his people. The same God that took care of you yesterday, the same God that fed you yesterday, the same God that provided for you yesterday has sufficient needs to provide for you today. Oh, now when we get down to Solomon's temple, he's got a holy of holies too. This second compartment's much bigger than the one in the tabernacle, and because of that, Hey, could I, let me give you this for a start there. The number 10 in Scripture is the number of completeness. If you don't understand that, you need to go back and do your math again. Number 10 is the number of completeness. Every time you reach the 10th spot, it starts over again. 10, 11, 12, 20, 1, 2, 3, I mean, that, that's the number of completeness. Scripturally, it's the number of completeness. So whenever we get to Solomon's temple, instead of there being one lampstand, Solomon has ten made. That's enough. But now, you've got to remember, this, this building of Solomon is much larger than the one that Moses had built in the wilderness. So he, he has ten lampstands made, five on the right, five on the left. But he also has... Ten tables of shoe bread. By the way, on, on these tables, on each table, there are 12 loaves, each one representing one of the nations of Israel, one of the tribes of Israel, if you please. So when, when Solomon builds a temple, he says, hey, we need more light because the room's bigger and there's no light coming in. So he has 10 of the lampstands made and he has 10 of the uh, of the Two bread tables made, and he has uh, bread on each one of them. Mm. Moses started it because God told him to do that. Solomon improved it to the point to where it was really complete uh, with the number of ten. And the church, by the way, still has the light that we can offer to a darkened world. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. 
We have the food that'll sustain you even in these difficult generations. I don't know about you, but every now and then when I think about some of these things, I'm overwhelmed. There's no way, if you study the uh, tabernacle of Moses, all the colors that's in it, every, everything, everything from the sockets on which the post set, those silver sockets, by the way, silver represents judgment, in case you don't know, from those silver sockets, all the way to the color of each one of the coverings of the Holy of Holies. God as pictures us as being able to see Jesus Christ in it all. He is all in all, by the way. So we come, we come through this place, and we finally come to the last curtain. And the last curtain right before it, there's a, there is a... a altar there it's called the altar of incense now incense in the scriptures according to the scriptures not according to brother jack but incense in the scriptures according to the scriptures represents prayers prayers of saints i said what what should you find when you go to church what ought you to find you ought ought to find a place to get right with god you ought to find a place where you can trust Him and salvation becomes real through the blood of Christ. You ought, you ought to find the Word of God that helps you and teaches you how to live as a Christian in this particular life. Man, you ought, you ought, to, you ought to be able to enter in to where the true light's at. You ought to be able to feed on the bread of God, the Word of God. Jesus said, I'm, li- I'm the light of the world, I'm the bread of life, and you ought to be able to find a place. It's called the altar of incense, where you can take your troubles, take your problems to a place of prayer. You know, uh, we talk a lot about praying, but do very little of it. But I want to tell you, prayer works. God works through prayer. Let me put it that way. God said, you have not because you ask not. That's not complicated, is it? How do you ask? That's what we call prayers. It's talking to the God of heaven. I mean, we, don't, we do not have, let me get my English corrected, we do not have prescribed prayers for prescribed things. I don't care what they put on your Facebook last week. Praying this prayer doesn't necessarily mean God's going to answer it that complicated but i can tell you this when you take time from your heart to talk to the father up above he's promised ask and you shall receive seeking you shall find knock and it shall be opened unto you i mean is that that complicated oh we we've come to a place of prayer hey what ought you to find at church you ought to find a place to pray some of you all sit in this building for 20 years and never made your way to the altar that's sad First of all, it's sad because I can tell you, you haven't been around 20 years without having problems. So who are you going to take your problems to? Dr. So-and-so won't help you. I mean, there is a place. God has appointed a place for his people to pray. It's called the altar of incense. Tabernacle, it was there. 
You you're not allowed to go through that curtain, but you can come to the outside of that curtain and find find the sweet savor of prayers going up to heaven. By the way, if you want to read the book of Revelation, it will define that that's what it's all about. That is what the altar of incense was about. But there's another place. It's separated. It's separated by a huge curtain. And only certain people can go back there. Is we really that late already? Only certain people can go back there. I don't need to say this, I don't guess. God called and appointed certain people to do that service. A high priest once a year. Not complicated. Our generation would say, Brother Jack, I don't like that. Because no matter who God appointed, I'm just as good as they are. You've heard that, right? I, could I tell you, wasn't a matter of goodness. Wasn't a matter of perfection. Wasn't a matter of that priest is greater than this priest. It was a matter that was God's appointed way. Could I tell you this morning? Now... Somewhere I read that no man taketh this unto himself. Is that right, Brother Danny? I mean, when God calls you to a job, it's not a job that you choose. It's a, God, a job that God has chosen for you. Well, Brother Jack, no. We get here to the holiest place of all. In the tabernacle, it's a little section of the tabernacle that's cut off. It's 15 foot wide, 15 foot long, 15 foot high. Picture of a cube, by the way. Don't have time to go there. Only the high priest once a year can bring the blood into this particular little room, if you please. And when he gets in there, when he gets in there, he can't even sit down. I like that part. I don't know about you, but I like that part. Everybody, people come to a Baptist church always looking for the easiest place to sit down, usually the back. I'm sorry if you're back there this morning was no was no intended reference, all right? But what, what I'm saying is, is that when he gets back there, the only thing back there is a chest that's covered with a seat. In this chest, by the way, this chest is gold. But I say, well, bless God, I just don't think we ought to spend that much money on the house of God. Well, I'll tell you what, we ought to spend a lot more, but we can't spend anything we don't have. Did I, did I say that right? But anyway, when, when, they get, when the high priest gets back there, he's come back there, by the way, with the blood atonement blood he's come back there with it 
when he gets there, there's a chest there, all about so wide and so high. And it's got a cover on it. And that cover, Scripture says that cover is one piece of beaten gold. Even the cherubims, the angels that are on it are just one piece. It's not, it's not made a wing here and a wing there and a foot here and a foot there. It's one piece of beaten gold. Unbelievable the worth of it. But the worth of it's not found in the gold. When, when Moses has this built, he puts three things in it. These three things were to remind the people of Israel of the God of heaven. He puts in it, first of all, he puts in Aaron's bud, that, uh, Aaron's rod that budded. That means it came alive. Because there was a time when the people of Israel didn't know who to believe and, and who to follow. And God said, I'll tell you who to follow. Oh, man, we could preach right there for a while, couldn't we? Don't, don't follow uh, John Hagee down in Texas or, you know. Uh, but I said, Brother Jack, that's one of my favorite preachers. You ought, th ought to think it over. Anybody that believes you can get to heaven without going through Jesus Christ is not the proper preacher. John Hagee's preached for years that the Jews don't have to be born again. And I want to tell you right now, except a man be born again, he'll not make it. Uh, let's not go through all the rest of them. I'm, I'm way behind. All right. Moses put in there Aaron's rod that budded. God chose Aaron as the next man up. Then he also put in there a little cup of manna. That's that stuff that fell out of heaven so the people of God could eat when they were hungry there in the wilderness. God said, I don't, want, I don't want Israel to ever forget that I'm the bread of life and I can take care of you when nobody else can. Then he put something else in there, two tables of stone. Those were the stones that Moses wrote on. Somebody said, I thought God wrote on them. He did, but Moses broke them. So God said, Moses, you'll have to chisel out the next 10. Hey, by the way, that's the way God is, isn't it? You can either take God's blessings and enjoy them, even as a Christian. If you choose to ignore them and go your own way, God may make you make it on your own next time. Anyway, that's not, that's not in the sermon. But here we got, we got the tables of stone. We got the, uh, the rod that budded. We've got the manna that says God. And, and that's great. But now, that same mercy seat and same Ark of the Covenant is the one that Solomon puts in the new temple. You see, first of all, most everything that Solomon did in the temple was excavated, if you please, greater than that which Moses did. But when it come to the presence of God, Solomon made no change whatsoever, with the exception of at this time, the only thing that was in there, according to the book of Second Chronicles, if you want to find it, you can find it for yourself, or I'll give you the reference to it. I have to look it up. But when we get to that place, the only thing placed in the ark were the two tables of stone. What God was saying is that the law condemn you. Law, law condemns you. 
Well, Brother Jack, I've been a pretty good fellow. No, you're a good, rotten old sinner just like the rest of us, fit for nothing but hell. But could I tell you, the law says guilty, and in that Ark of the Covenant, the law is hidden there, and it's hidden under a cover, and God calls that cover mercy. Oh, it's made like a seat. I wish I could explain it. I, I taught this on Wednesday night for a year or so, but it's made like a seat. The only seat that's in this holy of holy place, the only seat that's in there, but it's not for the high priest. It's for the God of heaven. You know what ought to be at church? Ought to be an opportunity for men to have a meeting with the great God of glory. Ought to be a place where you can come. Somebody said, Brother Jack, I like it when folks shout. I'll tell you, you don't have to shout. You get close enough to God, you'll find you someplace to weep. I need to say that again. Well, we had a great meeting this morning, preacher. Had ten people shouting. I tell you, sometimes when you're shouting, you can't hear God talking. Oh, my. I didn't mean to go this far. But I won't tell you right now. Our desire to come to the house of God ought to be a place where we can meet with him who loved us and gave himself for us. Wow. I had the privilege years ago to stand fairly close to one of our presidents. You know, most of you heard me tell this before. Uh, Ronald Reagan out in Iowa. And you know what? I was excited about it. I was thrilled about it. i just be honest with you. Listen real closely. I never raised my voice. You know why? I was in the presence of somebody much greater than I am. Hmm. Every now and then it would be good you come to church that you realize there's something greater, someone greater than you are. And for that reason, we can fall at his feet and worship him because he's led us. Listen, the Jews, the Jews couldn't come in. They couldn't all come in to the first room. None but one could come into the second room. But when you come to the house of God, God invites you into the innermost presence of an almighty God.